0: Work might not look like it did a year ago, but the essence of work is the same. We still get up, get going, and give it our best. We still desire to get better. We win by making progress every day. And while the tools and technologies that make this possible are quite remarkable, it is the talent and drive of each individual employee that makes your business exceptional. When you manage this type of experience, your organization, like its employees, will also do and be its best. SAP Human Experience Management Solutions puts the employee experience ahead of everything. They give you the tools to boost productivity, confidence, and engagement. And that's how experience wins. Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is the incredible Kathleen Hogan. As Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President of Human Resources at Microsoft, Kathleen Hogan empowers 160,000 plus global employees to achieve Microsoft's mission. In her role, she focuses on making Microsoft an exceptional place for employees to work and ensures that the company is creating a culture that attracts and inspires the world's most passionate talent. Welcome to the podcast, Kathleen. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So excited to talk with you. Thanks for uh, making the time. Of course. So I first wanted to touch on your background and your journey. You have an impressive history. You graduated magna cum laude from Harvard in mathematics and economics. You have an MBA from Stanford University. You were a partner at McKinsey and 18 years at Microsoft, which I think is incredible because you don't hear about that longevity today, where you had a senior role in sales services and now the chief people officer. So what I'd like to touch on is your career has taken so many turns. Have you had any experiences that derailed where you thought you were headed? And what did you learn from that?
1: I could go back right during college. Even I really wanted to be a professor. That's what I had in mind for myself, and I'd applied for the Rhodes Scholarship. I was one of the finalists from my state, and I remember my dad drove me to the to the finals and was waiting for me coming out of the interviews, and and I had to shake my head and say um, no, I, I didn't get it, and so. You know, I I thought I was going to go and and be a a professor. And so that was the first time where I said, all right, well, what am I going to do? And Oracle had recruited me and I thought, well, let me go work for a year and then apply for a PhD program a year down the road and uh, went to Oracle and loved it and ended up uh, staying in business. So I, I would say, you know, that was the first derail where I thought I was headed. And even then, I remember when I showed up at Oracle, they had me slated for a marketing role, and I really wanted to be a developer. But my uh, undergrad was in applied mathematics and economics. It wasn't technically in computer science. And so I really had to advocate for myself and say, no, I really want to be a developer. And luckily, they moved me to the developer program as opposed to marketing. And I could go through lots more examples, but I think you know the so what is I think there are many paths to happiness you know, I thought that my path to happiness was going to be a professor. And instead, I've uh, had really interesting opportunities in business. And then the other is, you know, try to be intentional about what you want, you know, during various parts in my career, where maybe there is a, a sense that I should do one thing, but I really wanted to do something else and making sure that you advocate for that.
0: What do you think is the best skill to, you know, to hone when you think you're going down a path and then you suddenly have to shift? And I can identify with that a lot because I was a dancer and I thought for a long time that that's what I would be. And then the universe had other plans. <laughs> what do you think allows people to be, I don't want to say the word nimble, but what allowed you to sort of switch into the next mindset to pursue your path rather than being a professor or a Rhodes Scholar?
1: you know, at the time, I, I certainly didn't know the word growth mindset, but now that we've grounded our culture in a growth mindset at Microsoft, i would I would say it's a growth mindset, and it's this it's this mindset that says, you know failure is essential to mastery and that you may not have figured it out yet, and that you've got to constantly be learning and growing and doing setbacks is an opportunity to learn you know, it's easier for me to say that now. <laughs> now, how, how old am I, 55? You know, as opposed to when I was 20 or, or, or 22, I probably didn't think about it that way. But looking back, those setbacks are just a huge opportunity for you to learn and grow. And if you can view it through that lens, as opposed to some sort of an indictment on on you or your potential. You know, and certainly looking back, I'd say one of the big secrets to my success, or to the extent uh, I've had successes, I do think I've had you know, incredible parents and, and my mom in particular just always sort of instilled in me you know, a sense of self-worth for me and also a, a sense that there are many things that you can do. So you know, if one door closes, another one uh, will open and, and look for what that other door is that's opening.
0: Totally. So you have worked in incredibly competitive environments in mostly male-dominated companies, what do you think as you look back was the secret to your success? Did you have any role models that helped you? Because I feel like I hear so many women who reach a glass ceiling or you know, can't find the support internally at the male-dominated companies that they serve and would love to hear your perspective being that you've worked in so many of them and been so successful at it.
1: I've had so many wonderful role models. You know, I mentioned my mom, but I would start with my mom, who I think has been an incredible role model. But in the business world, there were just a lot of men and women that really helped me. But if I think about women, because in particular, I think the women role models were key for me to see women succeeding and how they were successful in areas where at the time it was largely male dominated. You know, I think things are changing for the better in that regard. Uh, But if I think back uh, when I was at Harvard, Kalakrishna was the professor who helped me get a job at the National Bureau of Economic Research and really mentored me and and I learned a lot working with her. My first role model at Oracle was Julie Butterfield. She was my development manager And uh, I became a development manager at Oracle. And I think watching Julie and how she was her own person and her own style and a very different style than uh, some of the male uh, managers, I think, was super helpful for me to watch and learn Julie. When I was at McKinsey, Beth Cobert was uh, a partner who went part-time. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I can actually... Have parts in my career where I'm full-time and, and really investing in my career, and maybe other times where I'm part-time and still investing in my career, but not as much, to have more time to focus on kids. And so I've had I've had incredible female role models, but also male role models. When I was at Microsoft, my manager was Kevin Johnson, who's now the CEO at Starbucks. And I think he was he was great because he encouraged me to to take on roles beyond what I might have even imagined for myself. He suggested I go run customer support, which at the time I had about 300 people reporting to me, and that would mean 9,000 people and a much bigger operational role. And he really encouraged me to do that. And so, I, you know, and, then, and now, of course, I work with Satya Nadella, who I think is the ultimate role model and mentor. But I've been very fortunate to have different role models to look at how they've navigated And then also to support and encourage me to take on more than I might have thought of.
0: One of the things I would like to dive into is not only were you a woman, you know, working in, again, these incredibly male dominated companies, but you're a single mom, which I think of anyone who's been hit the hardest in the pandemic, I think probably single moms have been hit the hardest. What advice would you give to young women, especially mothers who are trying to grow their careers and balance being a mom? I know that it's already hard enough if there's two parents who have careers, but then add in, you know, be, being solo. It's a it's a whole new it's a
1: whole new world. First, I would say there are going to be years that are really hard. So I I would not you know sugarcoat that in the sense that you know th- there are going to be years where it's just hard. You're trying to 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 work and you've got your kids and depending on the depending on where your kids are, there, there are times that may be harder. For me in particular, I remember there was, I think when James was three and not sleeping through the night and I was just so tired. That was a particularly hard year. But I would say if you can keep in the game, whether it's full time or part time, you know, don't don't underestimate that your children will benefit from you role modeling and having a career. And I've really seen that. Uh, especially to the extent, you know, moms have that sense of guilt, I would say your children really will benefit from you role modeling and having a career if you can do that. So let go of the guilt. And also, you know, while you do everything for your kids, you know, you deserve to realize your potential too. If you can try to do both. And I think to be able to do both, you know, your manager is key. I've always had explicit uh, discussions with my manager about my constraints and what I needed to be successful. I've been lucky to have and work with great managers who I think are uh, enlightened around that. I've worked with companies that have been, I think, enlightened with policies. So looking for companies that will support you during various times in your career. You know, It's like a sine curve where sometimes you're on the up and sometimes you're on the down and, and companies who see the long-term and want to support you with a view toward the long term versus just the short term, I think is really key. And then you're working with people where you've got that support network. And one of the things that I feel really blessed at Microsoft is just having lots of different women colleagues, lots of different role models, lots of different flavors of how uh, they're uh, navigating being a mother and being able to uh, learn from them and connect with them and also have have them as that support network. I think that's really important. My last you know, piece of advice is, again, I think I sort of said this with my sine curve analogy. Maybe that's too mathematical, but you know, there are times in your career where you, where you need to invest. And so when you can invest and gain that social capital, do that, uh, but also uh, take that long-term view. Sometimes there are times where you need to harvest. I remember when I was at McKinsey and I was traveling a lot and taking any client that they gave to me even if it was out of town. And then I said, look, I really want to optimize for having a family. And so, you know, for the next year, I want to take projects that are only in town. And I was still growing my career, but when you say you're only going to take projects that are in town, that just limits you in terms of which projects you're on. And that was okay, because that was a trade-off that I was willing to make. The biggest advice I have is at the end of the day, make sure you get an A in being a mom, right? If you have to make the trade-off. You know, you can try to ideally get an A in both, but, you know, work will fill the capacity you give it and make sure that at the end of the day, you've you've prioritized and you have no regrets in terms of, you know, your role as a mom, because I do think that's the most important role you have.
0: I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think it can be so difficult sometimes to decide when to take the work, when not to, when to prioritize. And I deal with that personally all the time. And so how do you think, you know, you talk about, identify the times in your career when you invest and when you harvest what is the harvesting part what do you mean by that
1: you know if i look at myself over the course of my year my life when i before i had my son i was investing in my career and working hard and trying to get ahead in, in terms of gaining those experiences, taking on those um, those, hard, those hard jobs to demonstrate my capabilities and to build those uh, relationships and those mentors and those sponsors and having, having invested in that, then drawing on that when I wanted to have a kid and work uh, in the office as opposed to travel after having my son uh, saying, I want to go part-time, which I went part-time at McKinsey. Uh, you could call that harvesting because I was part time versus full time. And so my slope, my uh, slope of my acceleration was still going up, but not as steep. And then later, when I was at Microsoft, I fought uh, breast cancer twice. And so, both times when I was fighting breast cancer, that was a time where I would say I was harvesting. I was still doing my job, but not perhaps accelerating and trying to take on more uh, as opposed to do my job and needing a lot more time to focus on my health. And so again, it's it's taking a, a long-term view of your career. And sometimes, you know, the slope is is accelerated and other times it's going to be flat. But, you know, if you can keep in the game, you know, then you can continue to have a career.
0: I love that you say that work will fill the capacity you give it and draw the line where you see it. I find that sometimes I fall into this trap on the weekend of I'll just catch up. And it actually gives me more work, uh, more work when Monday rolls around than if I were to just let the emails build up and answer them all on Monday. How can people get comfortable with drawing the line? If you know, I think driven people struggle with this, where it's you know, you you drive yourself hard to become successful, and that means a lot of work, and then it's really hard to stop. Sometimes even for kids, you know, e- even to stop for for kids.
1: No, and and over the course of my career i would say there's definitely not been perfection so on you know there are certain weeks where i had a huge presentation or something that really mattered and and i'm sure during those times i was working way more and and not investing as much as i would like to and so but it's really when you step back and you look at you know the entirety of the year are you making those choices every day or are you making those choices once in a while when you have to but on balance uh you're making sure that you prioritize um what really matters which is spending time and being there for your kids you know for me it's it, it's really been about prioritizing doing what i really need to do with my son so for instance you know now he's uh, in college but whether it would be leaving and going to the soccer games getting home doing homework prioritizing and doing that, and then getting back online at 10, and maybe from 10 to 11, getting through whatever I could get through. But to to my point, work will fill the capacity you give it. If I had started at seven till 11, I would have been able to continue to work that whole time. But instead by, you know, leaving at five and spending time and then, you know, mix shifting and doing an hour and saying, this is how much time I have, and then looking at the email and saying, which are the most important ones and trying to knock those off and then just letting go of the fact that there are many that I, I didn't get to. And that's even true today. <laughs> My son is not here. And even last night, it's like, okay, which ones can I knock off? And and you just can't get to everything. So again, that's kind of what I've learned is work will fill the capacity you give it. Whether I could work 24 hours, I could work 48 hours, I could work hundred hours a day. Like at some point you just have to realize there are only so many hours in the day and really prioritize how you spend your time. Cause otherwise it can be like this river where you're on somebody else's agenda and you're just responding to emails or you're just responding to meeting requests and versus being intentional about this is how much time I'm going to give to work. I'm going to prioritize time that I'm spending with my family and then let the chips fall where they may, so to speak. And I'm not trying to be cavalier because of course, you've got to be, you know, you've got to try to prioritize and focus on the right things. But I I say, you know, on any given day, I'll get an A on certain things that work, and maybe a B or C on other things, because, you know, you just can't get an A on everything. So pick what really matters, but then make sure in terms of being a mom, you're getting an A as it relates to being a mom.
0: You know, I remember several years ago, when I just was like, I'm not making, you know, I'm not, I don't have the kind of work that um, someone's going to die if I don't answer an email. You know, I I used to say, you know, I'm not curing diseases here. And the minute I said, okay, it's the weekend, I'm not going to look at my emails, you know, nothing that bad could happen. And if it is that bad, someone will send me a text and it was incredibly freeing and I could focus on my kids. And it took me sadly a long time to get there, but, but it's, it's proof and truth of what you're saying about work will fill the capacity you give it. No, and one of
1: the pieces of advice I got when I was at McKinsey is McKinsey won't love you when you're old. And you know, the point being don't confuse all these people who are, you know, asking for your time and you know, you you, you've got all of all of these demands coming and you feel like you've got to respond to all of that, but don't be confused in terms of spending your time there as opposed to spending your time uh, with the people that you really love, and making sure that you know that you're focused on that, you know. Yeah. So, you know, if I look at the last month, got my vaccine. My parents have their vaccine. I spent three work, three uh, weeks working in Wisconsin, seeing my parents and seeing my sisters, and then I just spent a, a week in LA seeing my son, and you know, making sure that I'm spending time with the people that I, I, I love.
0: Yeah, agreed. It's it's top priority. One of the things I would love to touch on is. Now that you lead HR for Microsoft, I would love to hear what you've done to help support women achieve parity there. I think very few corporations can say that women have achieved parity. And I think what you've done there is incredible. So will you sort of brag brag for me a bit about what you've done for women?
1: First, I would say it's absolutely a, a team sport in terms of our focus on diversity and inclusion from, you know, Sacha to the, to the leadership team to our executive team. But we've really been on this focus and under Satya, we've really uh, focused our culture on this growth mindset that I mentioned, but we have three pillars. And one of the core pillars is diversity and inclusion. And really how do we make Microsoft more diverse? And when we think about diversity, of course, gender is one dimension, but you know, race, ethnicity, background, socioeconomic, there's lots of things that we believe uh, and the data shows helps you innovate Innovate better and, and make better decisions in terms of just having more diverse teams. And so we've really focused on the D side of the equation, which is bringing in more women. When I started, we had about 13 CVP corporate vice president women. Now we have 60 CVP women in all the different disciplines. You know, from uh, our CFO, Amy Hood, who's amazing, uh, is a, a, a woman, but we have leaders in finance and research and engineering, country managers who are women uh, leading huge sales organizations. And I think just having lots of different, again, role models, lots of different flavors, lots of different ways you can be successful uh, has really helped. And that is not just at the corporate vice president level. We've been focusing on bringing in women at all levels, but I think it's important to look up and see role models. And then there's the I side of the equation, the inclusion side of the equation. And that's where we've really been focusing on our culture and in the culture of inclusion and what are the behaviors that help everybody bring their A games. And so uh, I, I would say that's kind of been the the big thing. And then there, there are many levers that we've been pulling underneath that broad umbrella of our diversity and inclusion program. So one of the things that when I came into the role, uh, we were looking at women coming in and out of the workforce. We actually had this hackathon where a, a team came forward and said, why don't we have men and women go out of the workforce? Wouldn't that make it more inclusive? If, and if men and women had to understand how to come out of the workforce. And so we uh, came up with these parental leads for both men and women. So men who've had a child uh, can take a month or so off And that's been incredibly helpful. We've been a champion for caregiver leave. We focus on equal pay, where every year we look at for every role, we do the analysis to make sure that the pay uh, is the same for a man or a woman in the same role. And we've been able to share that data and show that we've achieved that for, for many, many years. We've got these really great employee resource groups. Our women's ERG is very active, creating all sorts of opportunities for women to find mentors, to you know, find community, to be involved in different uh, training programs, et cetera. So I could go on. But I think the, the, the key is making sure that you're focusing on diversity, you're focusing on inclusion, and then you have lots of programs to support men and women through different life events back to the earlier discussion I had is you know being able to support particular women during different life events so they can come in and come back into the workforce and and take that long-term view of their career and recognize there's some times where they're gonna need to take off, whether it's, you know, having kids, taking care of parents, their own health, we've got lots of different benefits for that.
0: One of the things I read that you had said, which I was so happy to see, because I agree with you you know, it's been really discouraging to see the tremendous hit to women in the labor force during the pandemic. But I think we share the idea that it's an exciting time to be a woman in business. And I'd love for you to share why, because I, I personally think that it's exposed, you know, it's ripped the, the band aid off of separating work and home. It's shown companies, you know, how much they need to invest and care for their employees would love to hear you know, why you think this is actually potentially a good thing, even though this year has been the hardest for everybody?
1: No, I think, I mean, it's absolutely been an incredibly hard year, but I think the silver lining is,
0: is I think it's broke
1: open, bringing hum- more humanity into the workforce and bringing more flexibility. I remember, you know, in the beginning of the, the pandemic, somebody, we were on a, a Teams call and Somebody's kid was coming in and they were apologizing and everybody said, don't apologize, bring the person, you know, bring your child in. What's their name? Hello. And just all of us being at home and seeing each other and seeing our lives on on video, I think, has helped raise awareness of all of us as human beings and what we're navigating at home uh, as well as at work. I think that at Microsoft, we really focused on this framework for our managers called model coach care. The three things we ask our managers to do is be a role model to coach the team, but to care and not to be somebody's best friend, but to care about the individual, to understand what they're navigating at home. And you think about the last year, whether somebody was navigating trying to teach three kids at home, whether they were navigating being isolated because they moved here for a new job and uh, had never met their manager in person, whether they were navigating, you know, sick parents who they were worried about and and somebody was in a nursing home and they couldn't go visit, whatever they were navigating, if the manager cared to understand, we believe that really helped a lot of people stay in the workforce because their manager was helping them, whether it was mix shifting, whether it was taking leave, but coming back because they were talking about work and, and life together. So I think, I think that's one of the things that gets, makes me very optimistic. And then I think this flexibility really has broke open. I think that uh, I remember when we were sitting there as a senior leadership team, it was in March. And I said, we're all gonna have to work from home. Those of us who were lucky enough to work from home that weren't um, you know essential workers, but we've actually navigated it. And we've onboarded, you know, 25,000 people now to Microsoft remotely. We've interviewed thousands of people remotely. And I think we've realized that we can have way more flexibility. There's going to be times where we need to be together, but there's a lot of times where people can work from home. And I think that's going to create a lot of opportunity for women in a way that didn't exist 20 years ago, didn't exist 50 years ago. And so that, that I think is really exciting. I think we can also tap into talent around the world in a different way too just you know given technology and our new policies and our new norms around work from home.
0: Yeah and I think you know what I wish the news had reported is the amount of women-owned businesses that are starting every day have almost doubled which is an exciting sign to me that you know if if a woman doesn't get to work at Microsoft, (laughs) and isn't feeling like she's, you know, being embraced and can succeed, that she's starting her own business, which I think can only lead to great things. Um, I'm so happy to hear you say that. One thing I did want to plug, if you are, you know, working for a corporation is uh, the Female Founder Collective partnered with SAP on making a program called Back to Best for Parents. And they, you know, we knew that parents needed support and they might not get it from their company. So we brought together resources, special offers, and content to support parents, to help them integrate work and life uh, during the pandemic and beyond. So I think that if you're listening, and again, you need more support, check that out. Um, I have a couple of more questions for you, Kathleen, and then I'll let you go back to running a global company. (laughs) You talk about being vulnerable, and being vulnerable at work, and I know that takes a tremendous amount of bravery. What was a personal moment you learned that it was okay to be vulnerable at work?
1: It's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to be vulnerable at work. Probably the biggest example would be when I went through breast cancer. I went through breast cancer in 2000. I've gone through breast cancer twice. So I was diagnosed in 2007 the first time. And uh, I remember at the time, you know, trying to hide it or, you know, cover it. I told my directs, but that was it. I really didn't want every day at work to be about, you know, Kathleen has cancer. And and so I I wasn't open, uh, so to speak, or vulnerable, uh, to use your word. Um, But ironically, one of the people who helped me the most during that time is somebody who was vulnerable and had shared that she had gone through cancer. And in fact, I called her when I was diagnosed. And she was incredibly valuable to me because she changed my mindset in terms of how I should approach this, um, she had, um, you know, gotten through it, and unlike a lot of people who were well intentioned but hadn't gone through it, you know, somebody like her who had been through it and had just chosen to work. I mean, I had the option; I had the option, obviously, not to work. But she said, "I think if you work, if you can, and I actually think you can, I think it will help your mindset." The second time I was diagnosed. I, I decided to be very open and share my story. And in fact, I remember I had my HR all summit uh, where we bring everybody together from around the world. And I had been dealing with this and I'd been distracted, obviously, and I chose to share that in front of the, the entire uh, HR function. Uh, and it was very freeing to be able to, to share that and also to hopefully legitimize for all of the folks in the audience that, look, I may be dealing with this, but lots of people are dealing with lots of other challenges. You know, whether it be health issues, whether it be the loss of the parent, whether they're going through divorce, what whatever it is, you know, there are different times in your life where you're going to be facing challenges. And if we can be vulnerable and share our stories and support each other, I think that can make a huge difference. And so, I think that being vulnerable and sharing my story I've been able to connect with lots of lots of women who've gone through breast cancer lots of folks who are dealing with something that's you know making it challenging to be present at work and so vulnerability can be a, a powerful connector right and it's a powerful way to connect with people and and actually uh help them and uh, certainly when I went through it the first time I learned the power of it um in terms of somebody who was vulnerable, uh, making a huge difference in my life. I I really think part of the reason why I'm still here and stayed in it, stayed with my career is because she changed my mindset about how I should approach cancer for for the better.
0: I think that's incredibly powerful. And I think, you know, I find when I'm the most vulnerable with my team, it it just unlocks the idea that you might be a leader, but you don't have it all figured out. Yeah. You're not perfect. You're human. And I think it allows for much deeper connection. So thank you for sharing that. I think all of that is true.
1: And I would say it's hard, right? Because sometimes you're vulnerable and not you know not everybody is going to be empathetic to that. And that's okay because uh, don't let that dissuade you because there's so many people where by being vulnerable, they will connect and they will be impacted by that.
0: I always love to end my podcast with two questions. What is a piece of advice? And if you've already felt like you shared it, by all means, say so. But a piece of advice, either you learned the hard way or that someone gave to you that you'd love to pass on to my listeners.
1: Well, I, I, I shared the uh, you know, McKinsey won't love you when you're old. Definitely, um, the, your work will fill the capacity you give it. The the other one I would say is be a participant in your own rescue. That was one of the themes a manager had, and, and I use that all the time. It, it's at the end of the day, be a participant in your own rescue and in. Uh, don't be a victim and, and don't look don't wait for somebody else who's gonna solve the problem. Take ownership of your life and be a participant in your own rescue.
0: I love that so much because I think sometimes it's you know, people can get into this habit of being the victim or pointing the finger and think when you help save yourself out of whatever situation you're in, you're just a lot better and more more cause over your own future. So I love that you say that. Yep. The cavalry is not coming. So Calvary is definitely not coming out for yourself, you know, <laughs> I mean, yes, especially with what you've gone through cancer twice, single mom, you know, a huge executive, the cavalry did not come for you. you, you pulled yourself up. And that is very clear. And my last question, just because I always like, you know, knowing a side of someone that maybe other people don't see, but what would we be surprised to know about you? Gosh, that's that.
1: Now, now you're stumping me. So, something surprised that I would want to share, right? Uh, I know, right? I go, go back to high school. I was uh, captain of the Lancerettes. how people would be surprised to to think, you know, <laughs> that I was uh, a Lancerette, which was uh in high school we did the a dance routine at the halftime show. Sometimes, you know, given my current role, people. It's hard to, for people to think back of you as a 16-year-old a doing all that kind of stuff. know. Uh, I'm trying I'm to, to think of something else. <laughs> I can binge watch TV. That's something more current I've learned about myself. When I was in Wisconsin for three weeks, my sister, we started watching Ozark, and I learned I have no self-control. <laughs> if you can hit yes to watch the next episode, I, I need to watch things as they come out because I have no self-control. I want to keep watching, so... We binge watch Ozark together.
0: I love that. I'm binge watching now The Walking Dead because I find that when life is very stressful, if I watch that TV show, my life fails in comparison to being killed by zombies. So,
1: (laughs) No, there is something about checking out and just watching TV. And yeah, absolutely. I, I just need to be able to have it stop versus have the option to keep watching. And then all of a sudden I've watched four episodes and it's late into the night.
0: I know, I know. Same. One AM is my new bedtime, and I'm and I'm worried about myself. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your vast experience. I just think it's incredible what you've done, and and your, really your mindset, which you are you are not only someone that talks about that mindset, but you apply it to your life. So, thank you for sharing that, and I'm sure that will really help a lot of my listeners. Well,
1: it's my pleasure for being here and. You know, again, when when I reflect on what you just said, you know, my parents, my sisters, all of the amazing colleagues that I've gotten to work with, all of that is what comes to mind. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody, and don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com, show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself, buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom Macy's scentbirds and birch boxes as well as our site.